0: Welcome to Grating the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the state historian and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward. With a bitterly fought election just ahead, we're celebrating sweet democracy with the story of one of our state's oldest and for centuries best known traditions, the Connecticut election cake. In this evening conversation with Allie Kaif of the Connecticut Democracy Center at Connecticut's Old State House, I discuss the history of this delicious tradition and we close by inviting you to join in a statewide election cake decorating contest of which I get to be one of the judges to help remind everyone that the right to vote for the people who rule our government is a sweet privilege indeed. The Election Cake, coming up now on Grating the Nutmeg.
1: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the sixth in our evening conversation series. My name is Allie Keif, and I'm a museum educator at the Connecticut Democracy Center at Connecticut's Old State House. We are the place where history and civics meet, and our goal is to share stories and ideas that help people understand our state and find ways to make it better. This evening, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Walt Woodward, Connecticut's state historian, a Yukon History Department faculty member, the author of several books about our state's past, and the host of the popular Grading the Nutmeg podcast, which serves up Connecticut stories on every imaginable subject. And his re- research interests cover a variety of subjects, including witchcraft, alchemy, and the history of science, the use of music in early America, and environmental history and cake tonight he is going to tell Especially us about, cake. <laughs> tonight he is going to tell us about an interesting slice of connecticut history the hartford election day cake which was just one part of the giant celebrations that once marked election days in connecticut starting in the 18th century this special mixture of raisins nuts dried fruits and spirits marked one of the most important dates on political calendars i'm so excited to learn more about this tradition So I'm just going to jump right in. So do you think you could speak broadly about the history of the Election Day cake? We know people baked election cakes in Connecticut. What can you tell us about the traditions in other states?
0: Well, the tradition in Connecticut goes back a very long time. There is an English historian who traces it back to 17th century muster cakes in England. A muster cake was a cake that they baked when the troops got together and trained there. So he locates this in a a very strong English communal baking and sociability tradition. And it's certainly true that training days for the militia in New England were very important days and they had a great sociability factor. So I think the muster cake is is kind of a genealogical uh, ancestor of the election cake. But the election cake itself and the reason it is so closely associated with Connecticut, even though it spread all over New England and and from New England out to to most of America is goes back to uh, the same tradition that gave us the Charter Oak. And that's the 1662 Royal Charter. Uh, I, I write about this. The, the origins of election cake in creating Connecticut, my new, my new book on Connecticut history. If it's okay, I'm gonna read a little bit of that. Not too long, I promise not to put anyone to sleep, I think.
2: No,
1: please go right ahead.
0: Excellent. The story of how election cake became a Connecticut tradition goes all the way back to the days of the Puritans. One of the things that made the Puritans so pure was that they didn't believe in the annual round of Catholic and Anglican holidays. They didn't celebrate Christmas or Easter or any of the numerous saints and festival days, and for them, New Year's Day came on March 26th, so no midnight kisses or dropping balls or first night either. While they rejected all of these supposedly invented occasions for mirth, they did believe that in the year 1662, Connecticut, for reasons still not exactly clear, got something very much worth celebrating, a royal charter from King Charles II that gave the Connecticut colony virtual independence more than a century before the American Revolution. Unlike Massachusetts and Virginia and the other uh, royally governed American colonies, Connecticut could make its own laws and more important, elect its own leaders without royal oversight. And that was something that was seen from the very start as fundamentally important and distinctive, worth celebrating and worth protecting. So it's not surprising that when uh, these early Puritans got together to elect their leaders, and they did that in May, uh, that they would pull out all the stops and have a big celebration. And central to that celebration was election cake. We know they were doing it before the American Revolution, and they continued far into the future.
1: So do you know if any other states made celebrated with election cakes?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, the Connecticut, it, it is certainly often associated. It's called Hartford election cake, Connecticut election cake. But you find people, you, you soon find it. And this was almost an intentional effort by the Connecticut Federalist Press after the American Revolution to spread the idea of election cake as part of a goal of spreading the idea of Connecticut's particular model of Republican government as being the right model for America to use. This group of uh, published people called the Hartford Wits engaged in a very strong print publicity campaign in the days of the early republic to convince the rest of the nation that Connecticut's Long-standing model of independent government was the right one for the new states to adopt. They published a lot of books. One of them was the first American cookbook by Amelia Simmons. It was called American Cookery. In the second edition of that cookbook, there is a recipe for election cake that's, you know, that that shows you how big the recipe was and how important it was. And they, these federalist printers, intentionally distributed that as people went West, they took the book with them. And you see the election cake tradition following Connecticut's West as they migrate out of the state into New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, up the Connecticut River to Vermont. You literally, you find Connecticut, or you find election cake recipes now in manuscript cookbooks and historical societies all across the United States certainly in the Northern tier of states and often in Southern states as well.
1: Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So what were events like where they ate the election cake?
0: Well, you know, you are, the old state house was ground zero for election cake in Connecticut. And one of my favorite, one of the favorite stories in my book, in this chapter on election cakes, I found uh, while, going through the Hartford Current, looking for an entry for uh, Today in Connecticut History, which is a daily program I do with NPR and on a website. And that was when I first ran into the election cake. And a woman in 1858, who she was now elderly, she was looking back to her youth and she wrote a reminiscence on election day and election cake, that is just a magnificent piece of writing. So here's a woman in 1858. She is looking back to 1820s and the election day in Hartford. And uh, I'd like to read again some of what she says. I just think this is a wonderful piece of writing. Will somebody who remembers it all tell about election in old times in Hartford? Tell how gay it was and how everybody looked forward to it. How the country people poured in going down to Hartford to see lection, how every house was an apple pie order, summer arrangements all completed. There was a grand ball in the evening then, and in those times too, there was an election sermon preached at the meeting house before the governor and the legislature and grand singing by the choir, who in costumes something like those now wore at the old folks' concerts gave old 100 and various national anthems. Election time, oh, the quantities of cake. A batch of election cake was 12 loaves, but there had to be more than one batch and plenty of sponge cake with it. Day before election, that was a delightful occasion. The opening of the ceremonies. You didn't wear your white frock, but your new calico best bonnet and red shoes and you went down street to see the governor come into town the streets were crowded the bells rang the principal citizens rode to meet his excellency just out of town and join in the parade the horse guard came first and i can hear now those first bugle notes and the shout the troopers are coming oh how splendid it was to see them ride along on their prancing horses and here is the foot guard, all in buff and scarlet. The governor is in plain black with only a cockade hat. There he comes. That's the governor there with his hat off, and she goes on to talk about taking him to his hotel, and then the next morning, the real fun begins. The sun usually keeps election, and it's up bright and early. The best clothes go on as soon as possible after breakfast. White frock, New bonnet, open work flat with a wreath of roses, pink sash and red shoes, lots of money to spend. Children could have a cent anytime they asked for it on election day and cake, a big (laughs) piece, not a slice. Every time they ran into the house, nobody dared refuse them. It stands ready all day for wagons full of country friends and acquaintances come to see the parade. All must eat loaf cake and tell what luck they had with theirs. If you go to the neighbors, you must eat a piece, of course. It is next in importance to the governor and the stars and stripes. And wherever there is a Connecticut man or woman, man especially, there is one who will not refuse a piece of election cake for the sake of its associations, not to say that it's about the best cake for a steady diet that can be made. And oh. on she goes. Isn't that a great account of this yeah. celebration? That's,
1: that's amazing. It's so exciting. It really makes me wonder, uh, was were they really concerned about their particular party or candidate? Or was it just exciting that they had democracy and they could vote and it, whoever won, won?
0: Well, it, it's very interesting. That's a, that's a, a remarkably, wonderfully good question. I think as the election cake was being established, Connecticut was ruled by the standing order that was a group of Federalist families who had been in power so long, we were almost like an aristocracy. It was the same families being elected over and over again. But during the time she is writing about, the people who weren't the Federalists and weren't the standing order... We're working very hard to take power away, and in 1818, they finally got a new Connecticut Constitution, and uh, the the you know the the have-nots took over the government. Interestingly, this is the time that this lady is writing about, and I think in some ways that tradition, which it already was a tradition, and the celebration of the Connecticut uh, the election cake. That whole ritual around the election helped to remind people that even when things are tough and contested, that the underlying ability to choose your rulers is a big, good, happy deal.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. It really it it makes you nostalgic a little bit for that uh, sense of community.
0: Oh, I we think had. we can bring it back. It's going to take work, but
1: yeah, all is and, not lost. So there particularly, was there a party associated with the election day cake or were they made by all sorts of different, I assume mostly they were made by women. Well, um,
0: I mean, that's that's one of the interesting things about election cake. It made women and their production, certainly in Connecticut, a central part of the election process, but they were completely excluded from real participation. So You know, you can you can read all sorts of things into that. It um, I I mean, it, it is very clear that women received a lot of status and very high reputations for being able to create a wonderful election cake. But it didn't it you know, it was nothing compared to having the vote, which was something that no one would give them at that time. So. So it included women in the rituals of the election without the ability to, without any power. Go figure.
1: And was the, were the ingredients, were there specific reasons for the ingredients, um, you know, picked? Like was the recipe specific to the fact that it was for an election?
0: I think the nature of the cake became associated with an election. So over time, the election recipe had a certain, it was a big, rich, fruity spice cake. But people, people did variations on it all the time. And the, the interesting thing is that making this cake in the volume that they made it, they would literally make hundreds of pounds of cake. Um, it was both, it was the equivalent of going to a chemistry lab and the gym at the same time. I've got uh, two things that show that. One of them, I'm gonna hold this up to the camera. It's just, this is from Godey's Ladies book. It was The Better Homes and Gardens. It was a great uh, women's magazine of the antebellum uh, America. And in 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, they print a recipe for how to make a Connecticut election cake. And uh, with your permission, I'll read two things from this, because one gives you the quantity, the, the, the amounts that they use. But the second part talks about the process. And you'll see what, you know, what an ordeal and how many ways there were for this cake not to come out good. So, uh, I mean, this was then they, it's easier now. But here's here's old Connecticut election cake. 18 pounds flour, 9 pounds good brown sugar. It makes this kind of cake more moist. 9 pounds butter, 10 eggs, 3, uh, three pints of fresh yeast, distillery or homemade. 9 pints of new milk, two, uh, 2 nutmegs, 2 ounces of nutmeg, 2 ounces of mace, some cinnamon. If liked, cinnamon is not in the original recipe, it can be added in any. I usually put it in. Nine pounds of raisins. Currants and citron may be added if you please, but usually currants are not used in this. Eight wine glasses each of sherry or Madeira wine and brandy. Current wine will not do in this cake. It makes it heavy. So these quantities, she says, will make 18 or 20 loaves, and then she drops down and tells you how to make it. So here's the directions for making these cakes. The night previous to baking, take all the flour and all the yeast and all the milk. If warm from the cow, it is sufficient. If not, must be warm some. Part of the sugar and part of the butter. Work it well together and turn a pan over it and let it rise. In the morning, it will be light. Then take the remainder of the sugar, butter, spices, liquor, cake, then put it all into the cake. Put together the night before and beat it well together for some time. Cover it. Let it rise again. After it is light, work in fruit lightly and put it in the tins and let it stand a short time. Then put it in the oven and bake. After it is baked, it is to be frosted, if one please. I have given the full directions as those that are not acquainted with making, uh, making them have good luck unless it is made right. These are valuable recipes, and the best is in existence. And she cautions judgment must be used in all cake making, and these cakes must not be kept too warm or too cold. They're often kept too warm. That makes the butter oily. So now you know.
1: Wow, that's very informative.
0: It's such a I mean, think think of the work that went into that.
1: Yes. I
0: I have another recipe which I will spare you from. 1889, that is about twice as long as that, because it gives you the directions for making your own yeast, which is, that is like a Mr. Science chemistry experiment in itself.
1: Yeah, wow, that's fascinating. So I have another question for you. Um, You obviously wrote a whole chapter on the Hartford Election Day cake and the celebrations around it in uh, your new book. Um, How did you first learn about the election, the Hartford Election cake?
0: Well, it's funny because I did, as I said, I do this program called Today in Connecticut History. And for every day of the year, we're looking for an interesting story about Connecticut history. And when I'm searching for news stories, uh, one of my go-to places are old Connecticut newspapers. And I'll just, I'll look at, if if I'm looking for a story for a particular date, I will read issues for on that date for year after year after year after year until I find a story that I think people would be interested in. So I was looking for one and came across this account of Election Day. And I thought, well, just an account of Election Day is interesting. And when this wonderful uh, uh, woman writer started going on about Election Cake, I thought, oh, my why haven't i heard about this why don't i know about this and so it clearly was a um it, you know it was a it was a lack of knowledge on my part because there was a lot of information out there about it if you go looking you'll find a tremendous amount of information about election cake but it's often uh it, it hasn't really been compiled into i think i think it would actually make a pretty good uh History book now the whole story of how this cake has evolved for nearly three centuries is something.
1: Mm. So, following up with that, um, was was cake always historically was cake always considered a way to bring people together the way we consider it today? You know, everybody at a birthday you always have birthday cake. Back then what? on election day, they had election day cake. Uh, do you know anything about where that came from?
0: Well, I, I do think that is an English tradition. And in some ways, cake, it, cake had a very special role in this sociability function that it serves. Uh, we often use cakes and pies as special desserts and community things, but pies were pie-crusted meals were an everyday part of uh, foodways in early New England. During the winter, they would cook many meals in pie crust. They'd put them in a very cold room, and that would be their freezer. And they would just eat crusted meals through the winter. So a pie seemed very pedestrian and mundane, but a cake, you know, that is something that only appears on a special occasion, and indeed. You know, the ingredients in them, the spices and the sugar, and those were relatively expensive commodities. And of course, there's also a lot of uh, rum and brandy and wine baked into them. Uh, Fortunately, I am told that baking bakes out the alcohol, but uh, people like the flavor too. So these batches of cakes and loaves of 10 and 20 in the, during the election, people would go in front of the state house while the, while the votes were being counted. Crowds of people would be in front of the old statehouse where you are. They'd be standing around. People would walk around with baskets and they would give people pieces of election cake. So it is clearly, it is a uh, cakes are social food number one on happy occasions.
2: Hi, it's Mary Donahue here, Assistant Publisher of Connecticut Explored. In December of 2015, listeners heard that music for the first time when our podcast, Grading the Nutmeg, launched. As Elizabeth Norman, publisher of Connecticut Explored, told listeners in that first episode, we're all about storytelling. We wanna do that storytelling on multiple platforms. We wanna hear it, we want to read it, we want to live it. We want to be out there in the field with it, and we want to be immersed in it. And that's been our goal for 104 episodes. Today, I'm asking you to share your thoughts on our podcast and on the magazine Connecticut Explored by taking a 10-minute survey. You'll find a link to the survey on ctexplore.org. Go ahead, tell us what you think about how we bring you Connecticut history, one good story after another. We look forward to your feedback.
0: Cakes are social food number one on happy occasion.
1: When and why did people, you know, stop eating election cake? Why, how did it um, die out? It, it
0: really appears to have started to wane in the late 19th century, although the nature of it changes in the second half of the 1800s. The people are going to smaller election cake recipes. The you know, people are moving, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're becoming part of a consumer culture, they have ovens in their homes, they're not doing these large social gatherings in the way they used to, so the recipes get smaller. But in 1887, uh, when Connecticut c- moved its capital to Hartford as the only capital and they moved into the na- new state house, they moved their elections, and this was another factor in the change of the situation. They moved their elections from May to November in a lot of states. Connecticut in 1887 moved Election Day to January. Now, other states moved to November earlier. And when you did that, the big party, you know, it, 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 you wouldn't have it as much because you can't be outside and it's not that kind of occasion. So that election cake tradition as a social event began to wane. But as but a reporter, the year the Capitol was moved and when they moved to the new statehouse, a reporter in The Current said, this is going to be the last election parade next year. They're moving to January. So all of the old traditions are gone. The election sermon is gone. The parade to meet the governor is gone. We won't be doing the parade at all. But I'll tell you one thing that will be around forever, and that's the Connecticut election cake. He said it's a tradition so strong, we'll never walk away from it. What he didn't count on is the great influx of people who were coming into America from other countries around the world between 1880 and 1920, bringing new foodways and their new traditions. He didn't account for women entering the workforce in Extremely large numbers out of the home. And I think those two things, a much more diverse society and uh, women who now were pressed to uh, work jobs and often take care of a family, I think that muted the election cake tradition significantly. Although you still see in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s revivals. This is this is an idea that morphs over time but never dies. And I, because I think there's something really special about this idea of celebrating the actual democratic process, and the election cake gets right at that.
1: Those, those reasons make sense the diversity in women, um, you know, getting involved in other segments of the world. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about the nationwide aspect of the election day cake? You mentioned that people from Connecticut brought it up the Connecticut River and out west. Do you have any specific um, stories related to the the traveling of the election? Well, I, have,
0: I have one wonderful story, and I'm pretty sure it's connected to election cake, but they don't say that exactly. I went I went out west a few years ago to follow the stories I had done some research and I found 20 groups of different people who had moved west and my plan was to take a summer and go all across the United States follow these people to the place they went to and then see what happened to them one of the places I went to was uh, a little town in southern Illinois uh Got a, I, the name escapes me at the moment, but it's where they had one of the Stephen Douglas debates, and there was a man there who I went to find named William Ransom. He had he had left Connecticut, gone out to Illinois, uh, out in the rural part of Illinois, become so successful that uh, by the time I heard of him, he was called Squire Ransom, which means he was you know he was a big man in the community and he in 1857 now he'd built a successful life for himself he got homesick for connecticut so he got this idea that he was going to get together with some friends and invite anybody in illinois who was from connecticut to come to a connecticut party and he set the date of the party for israel putnam's birthday israel putnam was a revolutionary war hero from connecticut and uh, he thought, wouldn't that be nifty? We'll celebrate with a Connecticut, a famous Connecticut person. It's a great idea, but Israel Putnam's birthday is on January 7th. And when January 7th came, it was an incredible blizzard, one of the worst of the whole winter. So Ransom, who had booked a hall not knowing who was going to come, thought the thing was ruined. But as it turned out, 300 people showed up, and they all brought Connecticut memorabilia with them. And one of the things they brought, they call it the they called it the Connecticut cake, and it was two and a half feet high, had nutmegs around it, wooden nutmegs around it, and spelled out Connecticut. And I think from the description, it probably was an election cake, but uh, I could be completely wrong about that.
1: It's hmm. interesting.
0: So, so I mean, it is clear that. The election cake does go west and people in other places make it their own. So there is also in Illinois, there's an election cake that's called a Lincoln cake. And, uh, you know, in 1961, Congress printed the cookbook and someone from Alabama put a recipe for a Connecticut election cake in it. I mean, it is the the election cake lives on here and there and everywhere in bits and pieces.
1: Yeah. So, you talked a little bit, you read a little bit of the description of the recipe. Was it pretty much a standard recipe, or were there different kinds of election cake?
0: The people made it their own, and they made it their own uh, by either altering the ingredients somewhat or altering the process. There's another book that I have that was printed in New Hampshire in 1890, now I didn't the copies didn't work very well, as you can see from this. It's pretty dark, but a woman went around and collected individual women's recipes for Hartford election cake, and she published them in a book for New Hampshire people to buy. And you know, I have no idea how successful it was, but she had over ten recipes in there, and uh, those recipes all share. A fundamental similarity but in in everyone there's either a difference in process when you do this when you do that how much of this how much of that or somebody's added an ingredient and I think given the complexity that went into making election cake the old-fashioned way you know make sure the cow's milk is warm um that probably led to a tremendous variety in the way the cake tasted. So I suspect for people who ate election cake, if someone went anywhere and they said, would you like some Connecticut election cake? They had a an expectation of what it would taste like. Sort of the way if you went in and you asked for a hamburger or, you know, a cheeseburger. There'd be an expectation of what it would taste like. But you also would understand that it would probably have different overtones and different flavorings, and people who could do the best stuff uh, were became famous. They they got their recipes in books in New Hampshire.
1: <laughs> so you uh, talked a lot about the big celebration in Hartford, where um, you know a number of people would be passing out election cake that they made. Uh, were there smaller, similar events throughout the uh, state? It,
0: yeah, I I. I'm so glad you asked that there's do I have it? Yes. Here's a report. This was in the 1880s. It's a longer article about how to catch shad. And the really interesting thing about shad shad is an anadromous fish. So it comes up the Connecticut River by the hundreds of thousands in May, which is the same time as election. So This man who was writing an article about how to catch shad in the Connecticut River during the shad run has this section in it called Celebrating Election Days in the Fish Shack. The old fashioned election days were celebrated by the wives and children and the sweethearts and friends of the fishermen who came on to the place early in the day, bringing with them baskets and hampers of provisions. The village ministers were generally included and enjoyed it as much as any. The banquet table would be set in the largest fish house and covered with the snowiest linen, the ever-present great loaf of election cake, weighing many pounds full of raisins, citron, and spices, and the whole top covered with a white layer of genuine sugar frosting that made one's mouth water. The whole surmounted with a miniature old glory." So. Yeah, election cake even made it to the fish shack.
1: (laughs) So, sorry, I'm just looking through my questions. Um, Here's a question, actually, that um, one of my colleagues at the Old State House, Jacob, our operations manager, sent me the other day. Uh, He writes, from the description of Election Day celebrations, it sounds like alcohol also played a major role in the festivities. Uh, what would pay, I know that you mentioned that you know rum and brandy were used in the recipe? Um, what did they drink on election night? Was there a specific drink that they enjoyed? I
0: people are one of the changes in the recipes you see in the second half of the 1800s. I didn't mention this. Is a lot of the election cake recipes go dry? I will tell you that the early election uh, festivals held at the old state house in Connecticut. Those were pretty rowdy affairs. In fact, the governor's foot guard was created because in 1767 or some year around then, the militia who had come out to meet the governor and bring him into the state house got so inebriated waiting for the governor to arrive that they were a total embarrassment. And after that, a group of leading Hartford men went to the governor and said, we'd like to form a military unit that would, you know, act respectfully when you come. And the governor's foot guard, which is the oldest military unit in the country, was formed because of that. People did drink a lot. And this British historian who talks about muster cake, said that election cake served an additional purpose of soaking up a lot of the alcohol that people drank. So one of the reasons it was there in such uh, large quantities was to keep people from getting carried away. I don't know how true it is. Um, I do know that elections elections and alcohol uh, have a long history of occurring in close proximity to each other Um, And the cakes were part of that. And I also know that as the recipes get smaller in the second half of the 19th century, they get drier, and um, so do elections.
1: (laughs) Uh, Another question that Jacob uh, had, which is also really interesting. Um, A lot of early American traditions had their roots in European, African, or indigenous cultures. Do we know where the idea of muster or election cakes comes from, or was it truly a colonial American invention?
0: It appears to be, if it's true that the election cake is a descendant of the muster cake, and that's, you know, it's certainly, they're related, if not uh, uh, in the same family. That's definitely an English transplant. And I've looked to see uh, if there were, Similar customs that came out of other traditions. Interestingly, and I'm I'm pretty suspect suspect of this report. There's a 1929 account I found of the uh, the election day of the uh, black governor of Connecticut it, it, that supposedly took place in the 1830s or so on. There's a long account of how this election ceremony, which t- took place the Saturday after the regular election, uh, the, a, a sincere effort was made to have the black governor of Connecticut ceremony have the same kind of pomp and circumstance that the uh, election of the governor had. So apparently, uh, uh, some of the, you know, many of the people were still enslaved in Connecticut at that time, and their owners would let them ride their best horses, and in the account, there is a feast, and in the account, there is also election kick, but uh, I don't know what the source of that account was, and it's a newspaper article from the 20th century, not the 19th century, but that, right now, that's all I know about that, but I'm, uh, the antenna are out to learn more.
1: Mm-hmm. And as we think about the the stories around the election cake um, and kind of zoom out, uh, what lessons do you think can be transferred from the election day cake tradition when thinking about voting, civic action, and community today?
0: Well, boy, thank you for teeing up that one. And this is, this is why I wrote the chapter. Um, I think so many of us, we're so polarized politically. And elections, it doesn't matter what, party you're on. Uh, uh, elections leave many people with a bitter taste in their mouths now, because they, they, I think instinctively, we all feel something's not right. Something's gone wrong. But what I think would be a useful thing, and what what might be the bridge that helps to start bring us back together, is if we all could agree that This idea of sweet democracy, that the right to actually cast a vote and choose the people who rule you is fundamentally an important, a valuable, and a meaningful idea, a good idea, that that's something to celebrate. And I personally uh, am championing and have been uh, for months now the idea of bringing the Connecticut election cake back. I, I've recruited people when I do book talks to, you know, to to bake an election cake and serve it on election day and, and sit down with your you know, neighbor who's the, on the other side and say, let's have some cake together. And regardless of how this works out, let's agree that we live in a democracy and that's a good thing. So I want to bring I want people to help bring back the election cake tradition as a, as a symbol and a statement of where we need to get to. And this time, the bakers should be men and women and um, and you know, let's let's get away from the gendered implications of the old cake.
1: Well, that is a perfect segue and I really appreciate uh, what you said. I completely agree and it's a perfect segue into announcing a contest that we have coming up. Uh, here at the old State House. Uh, Beginning on October 1st, we are going to have a cake decorating contest. So here's a little bit of information about it on the screen. Um, Our own Walt Woodward, the state historian, will be one of the judges. Um, And this is going to be a cake decorating contest. Uh, Bake a cake, decorate it, and enter it in our election day cake contest. You can bake your cake using the original election day cake recipe, or you can follow a recipe of your choosing. Since our judges won't be able to taste your delicious creations, we are going to judge, judge on decoration alone. Make a cake that you would love to eat on election day that looks as good as it tastes. The cake should be decorated in a way that inspires Connecticut, Connecticutans to vote. Um, and uh, check out these images for inspiration. Put the images up. So um, patriotic, you can make it with the original recipe, which we will be posting all the information about the contest on our Facebook page in the coming week. Um, but we see it as a perfect way at the old state house to have fun, um, bring people together and remind um, each other uh, why and uh, why it's so important to vote. So we'll really be looking forward to that. And uh, as I mentioned, just keep looking out on our Facebook page uh, for more information on that contest. Oh, that's so our exciting. Prizes-
0: those cakes you showed looked pretty cool.
1: I know. Uh, yeah, those are found on the internet, but I can't wait to see um, what people all around the state come up with. Um, oh, I'll be so hoping-
0: excited. I, I hope everybody gets their friends to do this. It's, this could just be wonderful. This could yeah. be the start of everything getting better.
1: <laughs> That's what we're going for. That's what we're That's going right. for. Um. So, Walt, could you, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, your book, Creating Connecticut?
0: well uh very quickly because i know people didn't people came to eat cake and not read books but creating connecticut is a you know it's my new book i'm very proud of this book it's a book i've written for people who have some interest in connecticut history or wonder what there is to be interested in about connecticut history i pick stories from the past that are uh, that have connections to today i Work to write them so that they are both interesting and uh, meaningful. There are twelve long stories, twelve short stories. They cover a range of topics from the early colonial period to the present. And uh, I, you know, I've been I've been really thrilled with the response to it so far. And I hope people will consider uh, picking up Creating Connecticut at your library giving it a read and uh, letting me know what you think. So uh, thank you awesome. for having me. And um, and with election cake, if we all bake a cake, we can create a new and better Connecticut together.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, do you have, did we miss anything? Is there anything else that you would like to um, talk about? in you terms? Know, of the the
0: minute we sign off. I'll think of about 35 different things, but for right now, I, you know, I do think we've covered the bases pretty well.
1: Good, good.
0: And I thank everyone who has taken the time to listen to this. And um, I, uh, my, let me very quickly, my email address is Walt, it's the easiest email address at UConn. It's walt at uConn.edu. And if you would like a modern day updated, easy to bake, a Connecticut election cake recipe. I have one, I would be happy to send you. It's from the book, just send me an email and I will send you a copy of the recipe.
1: Awesome, yes, we already have staff members at the old State House who are um, gearing up to make their own uh, election day cake with that recipe and there'll be videos um, of that, the baking process on our page. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. Um, Walt, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed talking to you and I'm just ready to get in the kitchen. And my own awesome. was
0: a lot of fun. Thank you. And thank everyone who listened. I, I very much appreciate you coming.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
0: Take care. Thanks for listening. We wish to thank Allie Keif and the Connecticut Democracy Center at Connecticut's Old State House. To learn more about the Election Cake Decorating Contest, check out Connecticut's Old State House Facebook page or our episode page at gradingthenutmeg.libsyn.com. For a modernized original election cake recipe, check out our podcast page or email me at walt at uconn.edu. And finally, we're asking listeners to share their thoughts about our podcast and Connecticut Explored magazine by taking a 10-minute survey. You'll find a link to the survey on ctexplored.org. We look forward to your feedback and to welcoming you to our next episode of Grading the Nutmeg.